listening to the EVs for Everyone podcast. My name is Elena Ciccatelli, an award-winning automotive executive, and I'm so excited to introduce you to some of the most dynamic thought leaders the EV economy has to offer. Listen in on honest conversations I have with the leading electric vehicle experts and uncover critical insights that will help you jump ahead and stay there. The electrification race is officially on, and these conversations have never been more important. So whether you're an automotive executive or just an EV enthusiast, this is the podcast for you. Let's get started. Jason Goldfarb is here, and he is an EV infrastructure attorney and partner at Falcon, Rappaport, and Berkman. Jason, how are you this morning? How are you doing, Elena? How are you? Oh, man, I'm good. And I'm so glad that you're on the show to offer this unique perspective because I know you and I keep close tabs on the EV industry and all the headlines that are happening. And gosh, there are a lot of headlines around EV infrastructure. So I'd love to get your perspective on what in the you know what is going on here. <laughs> been going so on. before yes. we get to that, Jason, would love to just talk a little bit more about your background. I spent about 25 plus years um, in the real estate infrastructure industry, primarily focusing in the world of wireless telecom. So I worked for uh, two of the largest wireless telecom companies, and I was responsible for managing uh, thousands upon thousands of wireless assets. I've always really been interested in cars, like since the time I, I, I was born. I've been literally been playing with cars since I'm a little kid. One of my favorite uh, T-shirts says still playing with cars. I'm not wearing it right now, right? Not so professional, but I do have one of those. Um, always been really into real estate. Um, even as a kid, I was a little geeky. I would always read the real estate section of the New York Times. This combines basically cars, real estate, technology, contract negotiation. You got to use your legal brain. You got to use a business brain. We'll talk about how you have to use your business brain when you get into this business. Um, And so it was kind of a really a natural transition for me to shift um, from that over to this. And then on top of that, I really, you know, as I got more and more into this, I really started to see that there was an enormous need for legal representation. Um, There were a lot of things out there, you know, that I'm seeing that literally begged for an attorney. It seemed obvious to me as a lawyer that maybe somebody didn't have an attorney or if they had an attorney, they weren't paying attention to these things or maybe their eyes glossed over because they were getting all excited about EV charging as, you know, the next great shiny new thing without actually thinking about some of the things that really mattered and made a difference. So I'm working with people that are deploying the infrastructure literally on their property, plus companies that are trying to deploy infrastructure on people's property. And I'm still looking at it really from from all directions. Yeah, and I think the key word there is you're helping people intelligently negotiate and deploy EV infrastructure. (laughs) I think that's like a very key point of what you're doing. So I would love to jump into the questions here because there are so many. Um, Location. I want to talk to you about why location matters when you're placing some of these EV chargers on a property. And like you said, you're working with real estate decision makers, you're working with property managers. So why is it so important for these folks to understand the location and where they're putting these EV chargers? Right. So I think one of the one of the big things that we've seen, and especially where a lot of the trouble has come from, 
um, where you know a lot of people have been complaining, let's say, about the uh, the quality of some of the existing chargers that are out there, right, in the existing charging network. And, you know, in the media, they love to have all these stories about, you know, all the crappy chargers that don't work and people pull up to them and they've been vandalized or, you know, the, the payment systems aren't working properly and so on and so forth. So I think what started to happen at the beginning is that there was this just a tremendous push to get EV charging equipment just about anywhere that somebody would put it. And as a result, what started to happen is because the deployment is what was incentivized, people just put the chargers just about anywhere, whether you needed them in that particular location or not, whether it even made sense to put it in a particular location. And then on top of that, they didn't even necessarily put the right type of charging equipment in the right place. So I'll give you a perfect example. An EV charger literally in the middle of nowhere, but like there was nothing around it. Okay. For like miles, like nothing but like, you know, rocks, dirt, and maybe some mountains. And it's not even on a major mobility corridor. So not even along a major highway, somebody put down an EV charger somewhere. It looks horrible. It's falling apart. Of course it's, it's doing that because nobody lives within any radius <laughs> around that charger that actually needs it. As a result, it gets vandalized, right? And then on top of it then getting vandalized, what starts to happen is that the company that put it there probably didn't have a contractual obligation to maintain it. There was no requirement for, for uptime or utilization or for ongoing maintenance um, you know, in the funding that was given. And so basically they got their money. They found somebody who was willing to take it because it sounded really cool. They put it down on the ground. Nobody used it. And then, of course, you know the rest of the story. That's what happened, right? Um, and then when somebody really does drive by there and really does need it, what do they get? They get a charger that doesn't work. And then, of course, somebody in the news will pick that up, that there's this charger that somebody drove to, and, of course, it's not working, right? It, it's it's kind of like, you know, I think uh, the example that I like to think of is that, it, like, if you have a strip mall, right, um, and it's filled with, like, abandoned stores, or it's not maintained, right? And there's garbage around it. it. The place is a mess, right? But there happens to be a couple of other stores in the strip mall that, that are functioning and working. But like, are you gonna choose to go there? No, you're not gonna go there. You're gonna go somewhere else where it looks like this, you know, the strip mall seems to be functioning and operating and you know, it's a healthy business environment and so on and so forth. So when it comes to figuring out like where you need to put the EV charging infrastructure, the one thing that matters more than anything else is the same thing that matters with any other type of real estate asset. What's the most important thing? It's always location, location, location. That's all that matters, right? So you have to really be thinking about it that way before you go ahead and you put a charger in a particular place. Where you might leave your EV for a few hours would be like a mall or a shopping center, right? That That's a place where it makes no sense. Most people are coming into a Dunkin' Donuts for only a couple of minutes, right? They come in, they get their donut, they get their cup of coffee, and they're on their way. So what's the fastest type of charging? That's a level three, or generally what they call DCFC, right? So DC fast chargers. But those are super expensive. They require um, a ton of real, real, like, electrical infrastructure to be able to power them up. Right. They run from, let's say, you know, 50 kilowatt units up to like 400 or 450 kilowatt units like that takes a ton of power. Right. And so unless you're near a power station that can provide that level of power, it doesn't make sense to put that in. On top of that, though, for a Dunkin' Donuts, right, or any other type of fast food place for them to put in a level three fast charger, 
it's super expensive, right? So how long is it going to take for them to see a return on their investment? A really, really, really long time if they put in a level three charger, right? So for like that type of application, that's sort of like a, a, a perfect way to kind of understand what does, what does not make sense, right? That absolutely helps. And so to get to that Goldilocks scenario of the perfect charger at the perfect location, then how do you then incentivize either the property manager or the owner of the charger to have EV charging uptime to keep these things operable so that we don't have the widespread issue of rolling up right. to a charger and it, it just being it not, working. not working, right? So how do, is, is there a way, in your opinion, that we can start to incentivize for the right sure. actions? Number one, most real estate people that I have met, okay, um, I, maybe there's some exceptions to this, but most of them don't even want to give up six inches of their property unless somebody's paying them for it, right? Because that's how they make their money, right? Their real estate is, is, their, is their profit generation rating center. So for somebody to come in and say, okay, I want to put EV charging here. The first question that the owner is going to say, well, how do I make money from? They all want to know how they're going to make money, right? And the answer is a lot of the companies that are doing this don't know the answer to that question because they don't know exactly how many people are coming to charge. They're not really sure about it. Um, some of them are are working off of, you know, um, let's say a leasing model where they may pay a little bit for it, but they're not paying that much. Right. And so for an owner to give up, you know, space, right, for charging and to let's say only be paid, you know, a hundred dollars a month, like they're gonna shrug this, you're like, ah, what am I bothering for? Right. So, you know, a lot of the other ones, what they'll do, and you, you know, is they'll they'll offer some sort of a revenue share based on the volume and the people that are coming in to charge and so on and so forth. Right. So that's number one. You you have to provide a an incentive a profit incentive for the people that own the property where the infrastructure is being deployed to make money. Now, I don't want anybody jumping on me and saying, well, what about the people that own the charging infrastructure? Of course they should be making money, 100%, right? But like they've got teams of people that are sitting around in rooms all day and looking at models and all sorts of other programs trying to figure out where does it make sense for us to put our equipment where we think we're going to make money from it. So you have to sort of assume, even though we shouldn't assume that, but the people that are putting out the infrastructure kind of have an idea that when they come to you to put it somewhere, they think they can make money from it. Otherwise, they're probably not going to be doing it. But that gets us into the other part of the problem, right? So the other part of the problem is at the beginning, a lot of the incentives were given out for the deployment, right? So just to put the stuff in. What the problem I think with that, and I think the problem I think that we're starting to see right now, especially now with the federal funding that's coming in to repair all, all of those um, broken chargers, right, is now we're probably fixing a lot of chargers that probably shouldn't have been deployed in the first place, right? Because it gets into that, that same vicious cycle. You put a charger where it's not needed because it's not needed. What happens is nobody repairs it. Why does nobody repair it? Because the company that put the charging infrastructure in the ground had no obligation to repair it. So if they have no obligation to repair it, and it's very expensive to do that, number one, why should they? And number two, even if they feel out of the goodness of their heart that they should fix it, if nobody's going to come to use it, 
complete waste of money for them. Oh my so gosh, Jason, that was so yeah. that was so that was such a mic drop moment where you just <laughs> outlined exactly what is happening because you're so yes. right. It's almost like this domino right. effect that's right. happening and then you know, certain people or certain stakeholders, whether it's the the driver, the the charging station, each of these stakeholders are seeing a different part of the problem. But when you string it together like that as a domino effect, it's like, oh right. my gosh, yes, it makes so much sense why things right. are such a mess right now. Why are things such a mess, right? So if the incentive was tied not to the deployment, but let's say we say, okay, fine, we're willing to give you some money for utilization for measurable, right? Actual measurable uptime, okay? Um, using like actual realistic metrics that makes sense. And then we say, okay, fine. You know, we're not gonna give you X number of dollars just to put it in the ground. We'll give you the money once you demonstrate that the charger that you put in the ground is being utilized and it's be and that there's uptime and so on and so forth, right? So that I think would stop people from just putting them anywhere it would force people to think a little bit more intelligently about that. That's one of the things we spoke about at the beginning, because they would know, well, I'm not going to get any of that incentive money, right, or free money, whatever it is that you want to call it. But I know I'm not going to get it unless I can demonstrate that my charger is being used, that there's sufficient need for it in the place where I'm putting it. Oh, and by the way, here are the metrics that can show how much it's actually being utilized. And by the way, I can also now demonstrate that over time, I've had uptime of, let's say, 99 or 100 percent or 98 percent or something like that. Right. Showing that it's up, up and being running all the time. So I think that's definitely one way of doing it. Leaving, leaving the, the, the federal funding piece outside of that. So I'll give you another another example. So um, I got involved in a conversation online uh, not too long ago where people were complaining, let's say about a, let's just say a well-known EV charging company and leave it at that, complaining about the fact that the chargers for this particular company, they stink. Everybody knows that their customer service is awful. You call them on the phone, nobody comes. Um, when they need repairs, nobody ever comes for repairs. So I said, okay, who wants to bet as to whether or not this company had a contractual obligation for uptime, maintenance, and utilization? And somebody actually in the chat wrote back saying, actually, they didn't. I was like, oh, interesting. Well, that explains it exactly. That's exactly why you have this problem. And I said in a nice way, well, then everybody would have just stopped complaining about them. Stop complaining about them. Yeah. That's and, not and their fault. Because and also too, Jason, I'm sure you see this a lot of a lot of times in your daily work. Do you think that because this is so new, right? And and I'm talking mm -hmm. in the let when with all your experience with wireless, like wire that's not new. EV charging no. is way more of it. We're Brand like new. in the infants. We're in the infancy in stages the of this thing. Correct. How much of this is just people don't know, and it's so new? How much of yeah. that are you encountering? Yeah, I think I think there's a ton of that. I think it's so new that people don't even necessarily know like what the things are that they should be asking for. Um, you know, they also seem to think that like, you know, the charging companies kind of have it figured out, but they don't necessarily have it totally figured out. And sometimes you have to explain this to them, right? So for example, like, you know, with, with private property owners, just to go back to that example, like, so a big part of what I'm doing, besides, you know, looking at this from all these different angles, I'm doing, I'm doing something very similar to what you're doing. I, I am educating people day in 
and day out. It's it's probably the second biggest part of what it is that I'm doing and trying to explain to people that like you have to be thinking about this in a couple of ways. One, you still have to treat it like a regular real estate infrastructure asset and that that's that's not a bad thing, but you really have to think about it that way and then at the same time you do have to think about this a little bit differently. Jason, this is such a good, good, good discussion. I know we're going to have to do a follow-up to this discussion because I know a ton of people in the EVs for Everyone community are going to be reaching out and asking you questions. So where can everyone find you online? Obviously, I'll have your your LinkedIn in the show notes so everybody can find you Mm -hmm. on LinkedIn. Um, Anywhere else you would like to point uh, people to to connect? Yeah, so like the easiest way to get a hold of me is number one, LinkedIn. I'm very active there. But if you look me up, I am Jason R. Goldfarb, my middle initial R. That's the best way to find me because there are other Jason Goldfarbs. Um, So that's a good place to find me. Um, Also on our firm website, that's also really easy. We are FRB Law, as in Falcon, Rappaport, and Berkman Law, so frblaw.com. Really, those are the two best ways to, to get in touch with me, either directly through through our website or uh, via LinkedIn. Perfect. I'll make sure that both of those things are in the show notes. Jason, this was an awesome conversation. Now I know anytime that uh, Electrify America is in the headlines, <laughs> I'll be sure to reach out. I said nothing. Jason said did nothing. good. He, did, he, <laughs> he didn't say it. I said it. I'll take the blame, Jason. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the EVs for Everyone podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and subscribe to the show and leave a five-star review with a comment. We read every single comment, so thank you in advance. If you have an idea for an upcoming episode or you would like to be a guest on the show, go to EVs, the number four, everyone.com slash contact. That's EVs, the number four, everyone.com slash contact. Until next time, keep charging forward. Word.